Good morning. Welcome to South Bay Community Church. Like Pastor Gary mentioned, if this is your first time, um, welcome. Uh, my name is Greg. I'm one of the pastors here. And if you're back for the second or third time, we're thankful that you, you would come back. We're excited. Uh, we are in the book of James. So if you have your Bibles, last week I encouraged you, if you have a Bible, bring it. Um, if not, it's in the program that you received. We call it the Baywatch. Or you could find it in your Bible app. But we'll be going through James chapter 1, verses 19 through 27 this morning. So I'd love to have you turn there and get ready. But as you're doing that, let me share with you a story this morning. Um, I, I was surfing uh, quite a while ago. I was surfing at a local beach break here um, in the South Bay. And, you know, it, it was a crowded day at the beach, and the waves weren't that big. But a lot of people, and, and the more people there are in the water, uh, the fewer waves you get. And so we were just in the water. I'm sitting on my board, and every once in a while, a, a plane or a helicopter will fly by the coast. And every time it does, I, I, I always check it out and see what's flying by. And, and on this day, a helicopter flew by. And I noticed, oh, it's a pretty cool helicopter, and it flies by. And as it flies by, just moments later, I could see it down the, down the coast turn around and fly back. And that's normal. But as it's flying back, it starts descending pretty quickly. Now, I don't know about you guys, but if you're like driving in a car and you see an airplane or a helicopter descending, what's your first thought? This, this guy's crash landing. So I'm like, oh my gosh, he's crash landing. And it was coming like right at us. And I'm thinking, okay, we're about to die right now. This helicopter is about to crash on us. And it, it descends and then it stops. And it just hovers right, ab right above where we were. I'm looking up. I, I, I mean, I'm not good with distance. I'm thinking maybe 50 to 100 feet above the water. It was really close. And I, I wasn't sure what he was doing because he was just hanging out there. And one of my first thoughts was, Oh, this guy's so cool. Maybe he saw that we had no waves, so he's making waves for us, right? Because the, the propellers were li literally making waves, ripples in the water. I'm like, this guy's hooking us up. This guy must be a surfer. And then, and then I'm, I'm trying to look in through the glass. I could barely see, but, but it looked like he was fist pumping. Like, I thought, like, oh, he's so cool. He's throwing shakas at us. And he's like, fist pumping. Go, go, go. And so I'm like, just watching him. I'm like, yeah, yeah, thank you, right? And then I, I'm just staring at him. He's still not leaving. And, and I turn, and about 10 to 15 feet away from me is another surfer. And I say, hey, do you know what's going on? And he goes, I think he's telling you that there's a shark right underneath you. And I look around, and literally there were no more surfers in the water. I looked to the shore, and all the surfers had paddled in. They're all standing on the sand, and two lifeguard trucks had pulled up to the shore. And so now it's just me and this guy. And, and I look at him. He goes, more waves for us, yeah? I'm like, I'm like yeah. And so we just, we just continue surfing. We've never had the entire beach to ourselves. We just kept on surfing for another like five or ten minutes. Then I went in. But some of you guys would say, Greg, that is foolish. That's foolish. What if you got attacked by a shark? Oh, come on. Is, is it foolish to get attacked by a shark? Is that my fault? Well, it's foolish if you were being given the message and somebody was trying to tell you that there's a shark and you did nothing about it. Then, yes, that's foolish. Today in James chapter 1, verses 19 through 27, James is t telling this very same message, that there's a message that's being given to you, and you got to do it. I'm calling this message, Just Do It, and we're about to look into the scriptures. Before we do that, I want to pray with you guys, and let's just prepare our hearts as we become, come before his word. Would you bow your heads, 
And we're going to do it a little differently this morning. I'm going to ask you to just spend time in your own uh, moment of prayer and ask the Lord this. Ask him to remove anything that's going to keep you from hearing his word. Any pride, any sin, any distraction. Would you just talk to the Lord right now? So, Lord, that is our prayer, Lord. We know that there are many things that are going to keep us from receiving your word this morning. And we know that the devil would do anything to get us to be distracted or to, to be hindered in receiving your word. And so we pray in Jesus' name that you would come and help us to be totally undivided in our attention, that we would hear what your word has to say, take away any arrogance or deceit. Maybe some of us are thinking, I already know this message. I already know this simple truth. And I, I pray that you would wipe that away so that we can receive the power of your word this morning. So God, we want to give our hearts and our minds to you. Take over this time. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. James chapter 1, verse 19 through 21. I just want to read the first few verses. It goes like this. Would you follow along with me? It says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to be angry, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. You can pause right there. The first thing I believe James is saying to us this morning through this passage is, be quick to hear. If you're following along in your notes or you have your, your app open, the first point is this. Be quick to hear. Would you write that in? Be quick to hear. Last week as we kicked off this book, we talked about how James was writing to these new Christians, these Jewish Christians who had been scattered, and trials and tests and temptations were going to come their way. And as he continues on, one of the tests that they were going to face and we're all going to face is the test of anger. Anger is one of the things that will test our faith. Now, at a quick glance, you look at this verse, and many of us have seen this verse before. It looks like very simple, practical wisdom. Everyone should be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And it's like, yeah, that makes sense. If we would just listen more and talk less, we would probably find ourselves in a, in, in a lot fewer arguments, Right? You, you might have heard someone say, oh, you have two ears and one mouth, so you should listen twice as much as you speak. And I, I think there's wisdom in that. I think that's right. Like, listen more. Listen not just to what the other person is saying out of their mouths, but what are they saying out of their hearts? L listen to their heart. That'll help you a lot. But, but with that being said, I don't know if that's all James is talking about here. I, I think it's at least that, but I think there's something more that he's telling us in this passage when he says, be quick to hear. See, I think he's trying to say, be quick, not just to hear the other person. I think he would be saying, be quick to hear the word of the Lord. Be quick to hear what the Lord is saying to you. How do I know that? Let me try to show you where we get that. If you notice that the passage in verse 19, he doesn't say it's wrong to be angry. He didn't say, say no to anger. He said, be slow to anger. Implying that sometimes it's going to be justified. It's understandable. 
it might be biblically based to be angry, right? For example, let me give you an example. A couple years ago, I shared this story with you guys. There was a local church pastor in our community. This was in the 90s where he was pastoring a church, but he suspected that his wife was having an affair with their choir leader, the choir leader in the church. And so he was angry. Like, what, was it understandable that he was angry? Well, if you look at the scriptures, yeah, God loves marriage, and he wants to keep it holy and consecrated. So when, when a marriage is violated like that, and he gets angry, I get that. But what did he do in response to that anger? Well, I shared with you on that one Sunday that he, he actually went to the workplace of, of this choir leader and he killed the guy, took the guy's life. Obviously went to jail for that, but, but in that situation, in one moment, what he was angry about could have been backed by the scriptures, but then he goes and takes matters into his own hands and he violates the commands of God, thou shalt not murder. So is it righteous or unrighteous? I would say that was an unrighteous anger. St. Augustine, in his book, he writes an autobiography called Confessions. And he talks about this idea of disordered loves. And, and what he's saying in that is that there is an order to our love. And when we put the love out of order, that's where sin comes. So we look at the scriptures and you look at the word and it says we should love God supremely. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then the second command is love your neighbor as yourself. So there's an order. You love God first, you love people, and then you love yourself. And those are all good loves, but once we start putting that out of order, if I love myself more than I love God, that's a disordered love. If I love other people more than I love God, that's a disordered love. If I love myself more than I love other people, that's a disordered love. And that's when we start going against God's designs and intents. And so for, the, for this dentist, yeah, it's understandable that, that he's angry, but then he supersedes God's commands that thou shalt not murder, and he starts acting out of love for himself. And so when you are in that situation where you're feeling angry, you have to ask yourself, is this a righteous or an unrighteous anger? Am I angry because I love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength? Or am I angry because I love myself with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength? Am I angry because God's standards have been crossed? Or am I angry because my standards have been crossed? Do I cross God's standards in my anger? One is righteous, one is unrighteous. So, so what James is saying is, okay, you're in this situation, stop, be quick to hear. Yeah, hear the other person out, but, but what is the word of God saying? How is God's word instructing you to, to see the situation and then act and respond in a way that's in accordance to the word? He goes on to say, verse 21, Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. That's why I had you guys in that moment just take a moment to pray and ask the Lord to remove any kind of sin or pride because, because that gets in the way of us receiving the word with humility. And that word is able to save our souls. We have to get rid of any kind of wickedness or filthiness. I, I love that phrase, therefore put away. Would you guys circle that in your Bibles or your notes, put away? It's in the Greek, it's one single word. And it's a word that's used in regards 
a lot of times in regards to taking off your clothes, to, to strip off or to put off your garments. He says, before you can receive the word, you got to put off this filthiness. I, I get that. I, I told you guys last week that I started getting into mountain biking, and I've been just really enjoying just riding on the trails here, here in the South Bay. And every time I come back from a bike ride, I'm literally covered in sweat. My, my shirt is drenched, and I got the dirt from the trails all over me. I mean, I, I'm like filthy. My socks are filled with, with dirt, and my shoes are filled with dirt. And it's like I don't even want to go into the house because I'm so dirty. And so I get back from a, a bike ride. The first thing I want to do is I just want to jump in the shower. Just want to jump in the shower and just c- clean it all off. Now, I've done a lot of stupid things in my life. But one thing I've never done, I promise you, I've never, ever done this. I've never jumped into the shower with all my gear still on, with my helmet on and my gloves on and my shoes on and my shorts and my, and my shirt on. I've never, ever, ever done that. Why? Because you can't get clean that way. Some of you guys are saying, oh, well, that's a silly illustration. Who does that? Exactly. Nobody does that. If you want to be cleansed, you've got to take it all off. You've got to put it all off. And the Bible says in Ephesians 5 that the word cleanses us. We're washed by the word. It purifies and sanctifies. And James is saying, if you want it to cleanse you and save you, you got to put off all the filthiness and rampant wickedness that's going to keep you from receiving the word with meekness, humility. And so oftentimes our pride gets in our way. No, I'm right. I know I'm right in this situation. There's no way I'm wrong in this. I'm totally justified in how I'm feeling and what I want to do. No, hold on. Put it all off. Receive the word. So, so we, we see that this word, and, and I love in verse 21, it, would you circle in the last line, it's able to save your souls. That word is a good word in the Greek language. It's the word sozai, to save, to, to deliver, or to rescue you. That's how powerful this word is. It can save you, and if this word of God right here can save you from a lifetime of hell that's brought on by sin, then you know it can save you from a moment of anger that's brought on by sin. If it has saved you from from hell for eternity because of your sin, it can save you in that explosive moment, that situation that's brought on by sin. So receive the word. Receive the word. So James would say, be quick. In any given situation, be quick to hear what the word of God says. But then he would go on to say, don't just be quick to hear the word. Be sure to do. Would you guys write down uh, for number two, be sure to do it. Be sure to do. Don't, don't, don't just be quick to hear. Be sure to do. Verse 22, we go on. He says this, but be doers of the word. Circle that word doers. Not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and once forget, at once forgets what he was like. Would you pause right there? And so God's word, we, we see this, has power to save us out of a situation. can keep us from unrighteous, explosive anger. But, but once you hear what God is saying, do it. Just do it. And he gives this really simple, very practical illustration. He says, if you hear the word and then don't do it, you're just like a person who's going to go look at his face in the mirror and then walk away and not do anything about what he saw he needs to fix. 
That's a great illustration. James is so practical here. Now, let me contextualize that, that illustration for us in this context, in this generation. Um, we, we have a mirror. Every one of us has a mirror in our pockets. It's called the smartphone, right? I know you guys use this for a mirror. Don't, I don't lie. You guys use this. And so, so what we can do in this generation is we got selfies, right? I was thinking as I was preparing this message, when I was in high school and I was at my homecoming dance, I actually had to have this big, fat Kodak camera. You guys remember that? And I had 24 exposure film. For you youngins, that's, 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 that means I had to wind the camera every time I wanted to take another picture. And that means I only had 24 shots at trying to capture this night. 24 opportunities to try to capture this night. And then a lot of times, I wouldn't know if I really captured it until weeks later when I developed the film. Did I really capture it? And half the time, my eyes are closed, right? My friends would say, all the time, my eyes are closed. Or, or like someone's not looking. Well, these days... I could take a, a picture, a selfie, and it's like, oh, man, my, my eyes are closed. And if I don't like it, what do I do? Delete, right? Well, let me try that again. So the next picture, I got my eyes as, as big as it can get. And then I take it, I look. Oh, my eyes are open, but I got a double chin, right? So, like, so what do I do? Delete. Like nobody, nobody takes a picture, looks at themselves and says, oh, my eyes are closed, and I got a double chin? Post, right? Share. Nobody does that. No, no, no. You keep fixing it. So the next picture, eyes open, neck stretched out. Make sure you got no double chin. Take it. Bam, that's, that's perfect. There we go. And, and James would say, look, nobody looks at themselves in the mirror or a smartphone and, and sees something wrong and then walks away and doesn't do anything about it. No, no, no. You see yourself as it's being reflected and if it's not right, you, you do something about it. You fix it. You fix it. And so James is saying in, in, the, in this word right here, don't, don't be deceived. Don't be foolish. If you hear what God is saying to you and you hear the message and you don't do it, you are living a life of deceit. You might think you're living by faith. You might think you're a person of faith, but you're being deceived. It's not enough just to know what the word says. You know, one common thing I've heard a lot of people say through my years of ministry, even before coming to this church, a lot of times people will say, well, you know, I go to my church and uh, I just, I'm not getting fed. Or I walk out of church and I'm just not really getting anything new. And I hear that a lot. And sometimes from this church as well and from people who go to other churches, maybe you're here because that was your experience. And sometimes that's a legitimate issue. You should, you should be concerned about that. But, but sometimes I hear that, and here's my thought that's going on in my mind. It's like, okay, well, maybe you, you know it well, but do you live it well? My question is, may, maybe you've heard all the things before, but do you live out the things that you've heard? Like, maybe you've mastered the material, but have you mastered the lifestyle? This book of James is all about putting our faith into action. He's so serious about you got you got to live out what you believe. And he's saying if you don't you're being deceived. Is that real genuine faith if your life is not reflecting it? If 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 you're not reflecting it you're being deceived. You're thinking you're a mature person in your faith when in actuality you've got no faith at all. And so maybe you you right here you can 
You can tell Bible stories, and you could quote scripture references, and you could sit all day talking theology. Well, so what? I remember when I was in seminary, um, one of my final classes of my uh, whole master's program, and the year was winding down, and I'll never forget, we're in the Christian education class, and my professor says this to, to us in class. He says, in a few weeks, some of you guys are about to graduate and get your diploma. And you're going to have those prestigious letters behind your name, MDiv, your Masters of Divinity. He says, do you think when you get those letters behind your name that God is in heaven just so proud and applauding, wow, these are the Masters of Divinity. These people have truly mastered all things divine. My professor goes, police. Please. He says, God is not pleased with the knowledge that you've received from this institution. It's not about what you know. But what do you do with what you know? It's not about your knowledge, but how do you live out your knowledge? That's what God wants to see. That's what he's going to applaud at the end of your life and say, well done, good and faithful servant. And in the same way, James is saying, it's not about what you know, but do you live out what you know? Reality is, I know some of us do this. We'll go to a church service, we'll get the program, and, and we'll take our seats, and the first thing we do is open it. What are we talking about today? Who's giving the message? What's the message about? And then sometimes you'll look at it, and consciously or subconsciously, you'll make a decision, am I going to listen to this or not? Oh, we're talking about forgiveness again? I know about forgiveness, Matthew chapter 18, checked out. Well, maybe God's having you hear the message of forgiveness again, because maybe there's somebody in your life you're not forgiving. I mean, could that be? Would you stop and ask, Lord, why are you having me hear this again? Maybe you come to a, a service and, and you, you hear this message, and 10 minutes in, it's, it's about loving God and loving people. Oh, I know this message. That's all this church talks about, love God, love people. I know, love God, love people. I've heard it a hundred times. Well, can I suggest that on your 101st time that you humbly come before him and, and ask, Lord, what are you trying to say to me? Maybe God isn't having you hear this message because you don't know it yet. Maybe he's having you hear this message because you haven't lived it yet. Maybe there's somebody in your life that you are not loving out of your love for the Lord your God. Maybe, maybe when you hear the same old things again, God's not trying to get more information into your head. Maybe he's trying to get transformation out of your heart. He's not trying to fill you with more knowledge. He's just trying to get you to finally live it out. But a proud person won't hear that. So we've got to put off the pride and the the filthy and rampant wickedness. Don't be deceived, church. James teaches this idea that the one who hears the word but doesn't put his faith into action is a foolish person and he lives deceived. So be quick to hear, be sure to do. Then he goes on and he gives us a picture of what it, what it should look like, right? We go on verse 25. But the one who looks into the perfect law, that's the Bible, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. You can pause right there. And, and so he says there's blessing if you actually live the life opposite to what we just talked about. You actually do what you hear. 
Now, I, I love how he, he puts it, the one who looks into, would you circle that phrase? The one who looks into the perfect law. And I like that because the word in the Greek is actually not look. It's not the word look. It's actually a word, uh, hippocupto, or paracupto, and it means to stoop over. Stoop over something. Right? Imagine you're just walking in the lobby, and in the middle of the lobby, you see this colorful caterpillar walking by. Okay, that's random. What would you do in that moment? Well, you would stoop over it. What is that? Is, what? Is that, is that seriously a caterpillar in our lobby? Right? And you're like inspecting it and you're looking at it intently. That's what paracupto is. So it's, it's not just glancing at the word. It's not just what's the verse of the day in my, my Bible app today. It's not quickly reading through a one-minute devotional as you're in the bathroom getting ready for the day. But it's like how do I stoop over this and intently, the NIV says, whoever looks intently into the law, how can I study this and investigate this and, and know this? And, and he says, and whoever perseveres in doing this. On a regular basis, this is just how I live my life. I investigate and I study the word. He says, you will be blessed. And I wish he would talk more about that. How are we going to be blessed? Well, I looked at the scriptures, and I think the scriptures give us what it looks like to be blessed when you hear and do. Let me give you a couple that we get gathered from scripture. Number one, you will be blessed because you will better understand. Would you write that down? You'll be blessed because you will better understand. How many of you guys have heard this saying? There's a saying, it goes like this, I heard and I forgot. I saw and I remembered, I did and I understand. I heard and I forgot, I saw and I remembered, I did and I understand. Anybody seen this before? No? You probably heard it, but you forgot it. But, uh, <laughs> but there, there's some truth to this. It's not from the Bible, but there's some truth, and I think the Bible would back it up. When, when you do something, you understand. Paul says to Timothy, those who have served well, served well gain an excellent standing in their faith, great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. You know, Monica and I, my wife and I, we, we used to go head-to-head in this, in this card game called Monopoly Deal. And we, I mean, we used to play hard, and it would get almost violent at times. It would be so competitive. And so we would play, and, and when our kids were growing up, um, by the time Evan was about like five, this is just a few years ago, we figured, hey, let's teach our kids. And so I, we were on a road trip to Yosemite, and I wanted to teach Evan to play so he could play with us. And it's a very simple game, very simple. And so I, I started explaining to this five-year-old. I said, Evan, it's, it's really easy. How, how you win is you just got to gather three complete property sets, um, and you win. But the property sets, which are marked by different colors, sometimes a complete property is two cars, sometimes a complete property is three, sometimes it's four. It depends on what the card says. And so how the game goes is you're going to get five cards, then on your turn you pick up two cards, and then you just got to play three cards. And when you play, there's all different cards you can play. You can put money in your bank and stack up your bank, or you can play a property card and try to build your properties, or you can play an action card. And with the action card, you could either do a forced deal and force someone to share with you. You could do a slide deal, or you can collect money for your birthday, $2 million on your birthday, or you could break a deal and steal someone's entire property. But be careful, because on your turn, you get three turns. You don't want to put all your property out without billing your bank, because if they charge you rent, sometimes double the rent, they can take your properties if you don't have money. And this five-year-old kid's like, what? Right? Like total, utter confusion. And then I, I say to Evan, 
Okay, just play. Let, let's just do it. Okay, let's just play, and it'll make sense. And sure enough, we, we play the game, and we're explaining it to him as, as he goes. And, and as he plays once, he's starting to understand it. Then we play again, and now he really understands it. And now it's starting to get fun. And then he plays more and more. And now he wants to go and teach his friends how to play. It was all confusing, but when you start to do it, you start to understand. And how many of us can open this book and say, huh? Like, what? What does that mean? What, is, what does it mean I have to forgive 70 times, seven times? I don't get And sometimes it could be overwhelming. It's confusing. What does Leviticus 17 mean, right? And it could be far-fetched sometimes. It seems idealistic. And, and James would say, do it. Just do it. Jesus would say, just do it. And you'll start to understand. So that's, that's one blessing. You will be blessed because you will better understand. And then when you better understand, you will be blessed because you will better stand. Would you guys write that down for the second one? You will be blessed because you will better stand. Your, your stance will be a lot stronger. And Jesus taught this so clearly. Remember Matthew chapter 7, he tells, two, he tells the story of two men. Right? He says there's two men. One built his house on the rock and the other built his house on the what? The sand. Right? One builds his house on the foundation of the rock. One builds his house on the foundation of the sand. And then all of a sudden the rain comes. The flood rises. The wind blows. What happens to the man who built his house on the rock? His house what? Stands. Stands. What happens to the guy who built his house on the sand? Crumbles. Falls. There's no foundation. There's no strength in it. And here's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7 verse 24. You don't have it in your notes, but it's up here. It says in 24, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Then he says in verse 26, and everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. He crumbles. When the rains come, when the storms hit, when his faith is tested and tried, Who remains standing? The one who has been hearing the word and doing it. James is saying exactly what our master said. You have to hear, but you also have to do. Jesus says that our faith is strengthened when we do it. Uh, you know, I, um, I try to, to go to the gym a couple times a week, and it's so cool. The, the gym I go to right here in Torrance, and so many of you guys from South Bay Community Church are there, and it's cool. Sometimes it feels like I'm at, at church. There's so many of you guys there. And, uh, you know, I, I'm not a workout freak, and I'm not a physical trainer, but, but I know this. I know that so much of muscle growth, you know, it has to do with technique and form. Like, you got to have good technique and form. There's principles to working out. And so some of you, some of you guys are at the gym, and I, I could go and just sit there and, and watch you work out. I mean, that would be creepy, right? <laughs> but but, but I, I could just sit there and try to learn what you're doing and learn the technique and the skill and, and the form. And I could say, well, okay, I get it. you got to keep your arms at 90 degrees. you got to make sure not to overextend. Okay, you, don't use your back. Ha- have good posture. I could learn all these. And I could go like every single day and watch you as you work out and get the form down. I can know it so well, but six months down the road, what will happen to my muscles? 
absolutely nothing. I could watch you run on the treadmill, and I could see your form and how you're supposed to run, and then six months down the road, I run a marathon and die at mile 0.5. Why? Because I've done nothing about it. And it's until I actually work out my own muscles and actually apply the principles that I know, it's, it's only when I get on that treadmill and start running for myself that all of a sudden my muscles will grow strong and they will be strengthened because I've applied what I know. Okay, well, that's a simple, silly illustration. Well, how many of you guys know that just coming to church week after week, you might have been the most faithful attender for the past 20 years? But how many of you guys know you can't just sit here and learn these principles and go, ah, I got it. Love God, love people. That's good. Oh, I got it. You, you got to forgive even your enemies. Got it. Got it. And expect that six months down the road that your faith is going to be strong if you haven't done anything about these principles that you have learned. It's only when we apply what we know that our faith will be strengthened. There's no wonder that people could have gone to church for 20 years and then all of a sudden there's a test or trial in their life and they crumble. Why? Because for all those years their faith hasn't been strengthened. I, I want South Bay Community Church to be known as a church that teaches the word. But more than that, I want South Bay Community Church to be a church that does the word. That people won't say, yeah, that church teaches the, the word of God. No, that church is filled with people who do what they hear and do what they teach. There is blessing. And so we are blessed because we will better understand. And we will be blessed because we will better stand. Our faith will be like that who's built on the foundation of the rock. James closes off this passage, and to finish off, we have three more verses, and he finishes off by teaching how important it is to put our faith into action. And, and he gives three indications, right, kind of a litmus test, three indications that you're a true doer of the word. Let me give you these three. The first one is, is controlling the tongue, controlling the tongue. Verse 26, he says this, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Pause right there. Now, I mentioned a couple months ago in a message that the word religion or religious has become like a bad word in, in the church today. Like no one likes the word religion. Right, because it's tied to just this negative connotation of hypocrisy. And yet, all religion is, by definition, is the adherence to a system of beliefs and practices. That's what religion is, when you adhere to, to beliefs and practices. And what James is saying here is, if you claim to adhere to the beliefs and practices of Christ and his word, but you don't actually adhere to the practices of Christ and his word, you deceive yourself. And he says, one way you can know is if you are a person who claims to adhere to his word, you will know it by the way you control your tongue. One indication is how do we control our tongue? And I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on it today because in chapter 3, we're going to do an entire message on taming the tongue. But let me just say this for, for today's sake. Our tongue, this is one of the most important instruments that we have, that we have to bridle. We have the, a bridle is that instrument you put a, 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 on, on that powerful creature, that, that horse, to steer it, to control it, to guide it, to tame it. 
We got to put a bridle on our tongue because it's powerful. I would say, I would argue, it is the, it is the smallest and yet most important and most powerful instrument or weapon in this church. Because with this, you can build the kingdom of God or you can destroy the kingdom of God. With this, you can watch a person receive the gospel and, and see their soul saved for eternity. With this instrument, you can speak to a woman who's lost her, her child and see a shattered heart be put back together again. And yet with this, you can gossip behind someone's back and watch a church get divided. With this, you can say something nasty to a person and keep them tossing and turning night after night after night after night as they spiral down in insecurity. You could destroy a person with this thing. And so James is saying, here's a test of your faith. How well do you control your tongue? Because a faith-filled Christian with genuine faith will control this. Because a faithful Christian will look into the word and see that it is powerful. And he's telling us right now, we, we got to control it. So if you, here, here's the application, very simple for you, for you sitting here today. If you're a person of faith, does it sound like it? Like, do, do you have faith in scriptures like Ephesians 4.29 that says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth except that which is helpful for building others up? Like, do you have faith in that? Do you believe that? Or do you constantly, continually say things at work or with your buddies where, where people are wondering, are Christians supposed to say that? Are Christians supposed to talk like that? People love supposed to talk behind people's back like that? If you're a person of faith, does it sound like it? And then on, on the flip side, if you're a person of faith, are there things that God wants me to be saying that I'm not saying? Can this tongue be doing things or saying things or testifying to things or giving praise to things that I should be? How do you control your tongue? Second thing he would say is not just control your tongue, but concern for others. Would you guys write that down? Here's another test if your faith is, is genuine. Concern for others. Verse 27. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. You can pause right there. So what he's saying here is you cannot be a Christian, a growing Christian who claims to adhere to the practices of Christ and his word if you're not demonstrating a growing concern for people in need. And in this passage, he mentions orphans and widows. And we know throughout scripture that God cares about orphans and widows. But we know that he also cares about the homeless and the oppressed and the abused and the voiceless, the, the sick and the hurting and the disabled. We know that there's all sorts of people that God is calling us to care for. James is giving us two examples, but the main idea here is, is you can't truly say you adhere to this book, which is all about loving God and loving people, if you're not out there showing care for people. Tangible concern, because that expression is our expression of love for the Lord our God. And so there's a lot of people we can be caring for, a lot of people in need, but since this is our word today, since this is the word we are hearing, let, let's look at that, orphans and widows. And the question we have to ask ourselves is, what are we doing to put our faith into action? Let's consider the orphans and widows that we know. You might be thinking, I don't know any orphans. Maybe that's why God's speaking to us right now. 
And God's saying, hey, hear my heart. I care about orphans. And some of you guys have. Some of you guys have adopted children who are fatherless and motherless. And that's your faith in action. And some of you guys have been praying about adoption. You've been going back and forth, should we adopt or should we not? And, and maybe by God's sovereignty, he's, he's speaking to you right now. I care about orphans. I care about orphans. And if my church and my people don't go and take care of the fatherless and motherless, then who will? How's the Lord speaking? And, then, and, and that's not a call for everybody to start adopting orphans. I mean, even to care for them. Maybe, maybe you want to sponsor a child through Compassion International or loving one by one ministry right here in this church. I, I, I've had a compassion child since college. Like, this is like 20 years ago. Uh, I, from Indonesia. Then I've, I've picked up another one, and I've been convicted as I've been preparing this word that I need to care for him. Because right now, it's set up where money just gets pulled from my bank account every month, and I cannot even think about it. And I need to get back to that practice where I gather my kids and my family, and we pray for Naval every single night before we go to sleep to remember that he needs the love of the Lord. I need to write him more often and show him that I care about him. Maybe you've been thinking about mission trips, and Uganda is one right here from our church that cares about orphans and widows, for that matter, and all sorts of people in need. So maybe you can consider, how can I care, and how can I either go, or how can I support those who go? Then widows. How about widows? What widows do you know? In this church, we have widows, and we have widowers. And so when it comes to caring for people in need, it's not just people who are in financial or physical need. It's sometimes it's the emotional need, the relational care, the spiritual support. Who in our church does this apply to, and how can we start living out the heart of God? Okay, so, so do you trust? Do you, do, you, do you trust in this word? Do you have faith that, that he means it? I care about orphans and widows. So control your tongue. Concern for others. And the last thing he'll say is consecration from the world. Would you guys write that down? Consecration from the world. Because he finishes off in the last sentence of the passage. And to keep oneself unstained from the world. To be consecrated means to be holy and to be set apart. And so true faith, get this, true faith isn't only demonstrated in how you act. But true faith is also demonstrated in what you keep from coming into your heart. Putting your faith into action also involves taking action to keep things from contaminating your heart and your mind. Right? Because when we look intently into the word of God, we'll see this teaching over and over again. Jesus says that out of the heart, the mouth speaks. Proverbs says the heart is the wellspring of life. So Proverbs 4.23 says this. Above all else, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. What's in the heart is what comes out in the way you act, the way you speak, the way you behave. That's a reflection of what's inside. So what do you do to guard this? Do you, are you vigilant to protect this? I, I shared with you guys last week at, in high school, my friends and I, we were foolish. And so we would, you know, go around hearing all these urban legends and checking out haunted houses and all that. And, and I realized, although a lot of that stuff isn't real, that sometimes that's a foothold into our hearts where the devil wants to instill fear in us and, and influence with the demonic realm. And so I, I made a decision, year 2000, that was the last time I was going to watch any horror movies. I haven't watched a scary movie since the year 2000. Why? Because I don't want to be affected by the things of this world. I don't want to be stained 
by the things of this world. I grew up listening to hip-hop and rap. I had my stations preset on my car radio, and then I realized that a lot of these songs were staining my mind, and I, I, I would play these lyrics in my mind, and would, they would bring up visuals and images and attitudes. And so right out of college, I wiped those stations off of my radio. Not because I didn't like those songs anymore. I loved the songs. But I realized it was staining my mind and my heart and affecting the way I live. So I decided I'm not, until this day, I don't listen to those stations as much as I would love to. And this isn't me trying to be a goody-goody. This is me trying to live out my faith that I believe that my heart is the wellspring of life. I believe what God says. Guard your heart. And so I'm going to try to do what I can do, take action to to live out the word. And so the challenge for us as a church is what are you doing to consecrate yourselves from this world? How do we be in this world but not, but not of it? And so I want to stop right there. Those are three ways that, that, that James gives us. Control your tongue, show concern for others, consecrate yourselves from the world. But, but I want to stop there because I don't want to miss the point. Because he gives these tests But I don't want us to think that this is a checklist, an exhaustive checklist of what makes a true Christian. Because we know from the word of God that we are saved by faith and not by works. Amen? We're saved by faith and faith alone by the grace of God. But our works are indications of our faith. Our works are response to our faith. So if your faith is real, then it should look like it. And what I think James is saying, here's the big idea, even beyond these three things that he just mentioned, Is this, in any given situation in life, in any moment of life, how can you know that you are a true person of faith? Your faith is genuine. Whether you're in an explosive situation where you want to get angry or you come across a child in need, or maybe maybe you are in that situation where you're being tempted by the things of this world, James would say, stop and take a good hard look in the mirror. Take a good hard look in the mirror, this mirror. And put yourself up to it. And what do you see? Is, 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 this, is this a good reflection of who I am? Am I a good reflection of what this says? Or do I look at it and my eyes are closed? My eyes are closed to what this says. And we say, if it's not a good reflection, then, then fix it. By the grace of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, make it right. And let's reflect the word. Let us not only be quick to hear, but be sure to do the word of God that's been implanted in our hearts, which will save your souls. You know, I want to I close and I think about our God. And all throughout history, our God has been trying to communicate to this world that he created that he loves us, that his heart is for us. All throughout history, he's been shouting, I love you, I love you, I want you. He would gather prophets as his messengers to preach this message, tell them, I want to be their God, I want them to be my people. He would gather kings And he would gather poets to write songs and write poems that could be read for generation after generation after generation to express his affections for these people. I love you and I want you. But I praise God that God, our God, is not a God who just sits and says. But he's a God who came and did. That Christ came and died. 
I praise God that our God is not just a sayer, he's a doer. And by that death on the cross, we are saved. He didn't just claim to be for us, but he put his heart into motion. And his actions proved his heart. And so church, let us not only be quick to hear, but be sure to do the word of God because of what he has done for us. Amen. Amen. Would you guys bow your heads with me? I want to give you guys a moment just to consider how we will respond. Lord, what, what have you said to me this morning or this week? And what, what is something, God, I can do to, to live out my faith? To bring it beyond knowledge and to do something about it. Pray that right now. Father God, we thank you so much that you are building your kingdom and you're growing your church. Lord, we thank you for this community, Lord. And I, I pray that the South Bay Community Church, that, that this would be known as a church that believes in the word, that this is a church that teaches faithfully the word. God, more than that, I pray that people would see the people in this community and say, those people are doers of the word. Those people really live out what they believe. And I pray that that would be our reputation so that your reputation would grow and people would see you for the great God who changes lives, who saves souls, and brings transformation. So God, help us to be people of action. Help us not just to hear, but help us to do because of what you've done for us. This this is to your praise and your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name.